please be advised. The Kind of Movie Critics podcast may contain spoilers. This includes most of the movies you're going to want to see. This shit also contains profanity, so there's that. Enjoy. It's your man Chandler. And I'm Young Leezy. And we are one third, right, of the KMC crew? I think there's like 20 of us now, but one third sounds accurate. Sure, yeah, let's just round it. <laughs> we're doing something a little different today. Um, we're doing a fun little mashup. Treasy, as promised, had a guest appearance on Chandler's podcast, Act 3. He's yeah. going to tell you a little bit about it. Yeah, Act 3 is uh, the other podcast that I do. Um, me and my co-host, Stephen Wall, we talk about uh, the latest things going on in film news. We talk about what we've been watching every week. And uh, and then we usually do a deep dive on a film. And the episode that Treasy joined us for is about uh, Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Good film. I also saw it. I'm so excited to hear this conversation. Oh, good. As soon as we stop uh, recording here, I'm going to have to know what you think about it. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, we have a, a bit of a different tone than KMC. I think we're a little bit more uh, jokey, a little bit more ha-ha, if you will. Ha-ha, <laughs> laughy. If you enjoy Chandler's dry comedy, there is so much of it there. <laughs> yeah. If you enjoy the parts where I totally disrupt the conversation on KMC, then Act 3 is the show for you. But I really enjoy the show, and we hope you will as well. Yeah, thanks. Enjoy it. Lights, camera, action. Hello and welcome to the Act 3 podcast on WTKR.com. I'm Stephen Wall. And I'm Chandler Nunnally. And this week we are joined by a very special guest. That's right, Treasy. Host of the Kind of Movie Critics podcast is here. Welcome, Treasy. What up, though? Treasy, we're so excited to have you here. That's right. I have been on the uh, Kind of Movie Critics podcast several times. I'm, I'm, I guess, one of the panel now. Yes. Can you describe the Kind of Movie Critics podcast? Very unproductive, like semi-film nerd conversations that we have amongst each other. Not quite as intelligent as uh, you guys are. See, I would disagree. <laughs> I think we act like a bunch of goofs. Right, and, yeah. And I, I feel like I actually know nothing and try and sound intelligent. <laughs> right. And I think the KMC podcast like is very intellectual. And it, I mean, we just talked for like two hours a couple weeks ago about midsummer. Yeah, well, a wise man once told me you talk for two hours doesn't mean you talked about anything. You know what I mean? Well, that's, that's true. true. <laughs> but, but no, you're right. We It was a good conversation. So I think it, as long as you're there, and Lizzie's there, we're good to go. If you leave it up to me, <laughs> it's, it, you know, it's a bunch of commercial breaks. Well, he's, I'm I'm a real goofball on this show. I don't know if you guys knew that. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm known for like making jokes and, and my irreverent attitude. Yes. Um, and I like going on the kind of movie critics because it's very serious. And I'm the only one making jokes. I have no competition. Get okay, out of here. Yeah. <laughs> and like it's happened many times where I make a joke and the mood is so serious that peop- it, it goes over people's heads. Yeah. And I think that's So you like, you love bombing. Yes, I do love bombing. Yeah. Like I love a bad joke, and I love being in a room where I tell a bad joke, mm-hmm. and f- people are forced to sit with it, and then I'll keep it going. You're, tr- you're a troll. It's very, yeah, it's very antagonistic. Yeah. I'm yeah. a jerk, I think, is what I'm discovering. This is why people don't <laughs> like me. Um, so I'm going to self-reflect after this episode. But right now you're listening to the Act 3 podcast. That's right. This is the Act 3 podcast where we talk about all things film, television, pop culture. We break our topics into three acts every week. Three acts like a movie. Oh, yeah. That's right. Gentlemen, we got a little bit of news this week. Kicking things off, then we'll check in with what we've all been watching. Yep. And then for our third act this week, we are going to discuss the ninth film by Quentin Tarantino. Once, Once Upon, upon a, time. a Time in Mexico. Oh, me- oh mm, I think I might have seen the wrong film. Wait, yeah. what? What do you mean? Which one did you watch? Did you watch Once Upon a Time in America? Oh, wait. Uh, I don't even know anymore. 
I told you it was the it was the one. Oh wait, that's Robert Rodriguez. Oh, that's right. not Quentin. Okay. Right. It's very. It's very easy to confuse those two. Yeah. 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 Wrong Tarantino. Right. Good thing Treasy did watch the correct movie, which was Once Upon a Time in the West. Yeah. That that is correct, right? That's what the top of the West. Uh, so we got to get into news first because we are on a time crunch. We're on a time crunch because this week. one of us was late. Yeah, and it wasn't me. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry <laughs> that I'm sorry that I held you guys up. It, you know, what's I'd, crazy because you work in this building. I know, but I I had a bathroom emergency. Oh well, I understand. that. Yeah, this morning while doing the uh, news three this morning program yes. here on WTKR, uh, mm-hmm. I did have a bathroom emergency while running prompter, and I had to have somebody cover for me. That's embarrassing. And I, I had to sprint out of the control room. Oh no! Yeah, but you probably I'm, if I'm if I'm just guessing, right? You probably made a right hand turn out of the control room. Yeah, you went to the bathroom that was actually further away, because if you went to the left, you would have cut your travel time down by like. Easily a factor of so three. So just to make this a little less inside baseball, yeah. the bathrooms to the left are the newsroom bathrooms. Uh-huh. That's the big room where everybody just works in a little cubicle. But not at four in the morning. There's still like four people in there, and I don't need them seeing me go in there. Okay, I mean... I went to the further away bathroom, but it is private. I can lock the door. Yeah. Now, it, you, I will debate how private it is Because you can hear everything Yes, happens. it is like an echo chamber. But in again, there. in the morning, there's very few people walking the halls. Right. And once I'm in there, they don't know who it is. That's I just got to make sure the coast is clear when I'm entering and exiting. It, it's difficult to know if the coast is clear when you're exiting, though, because it's a bl- you got to come out blind. You just got to hope. I think you just listen very you just closely. Listen, yeah, just just this is my chance. Yeah, and I have been go, spotted go, go. coming out of there before, and I'm like, oh, hey, it's just uh, checking my hair. That's that's all. Yeah, yeah, right. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Um. So news. Yes, news. Um. So Chandler, I think you want to start off here by eating crow a little bit. Oh, yeah. So our last episode uh, was about The Lion King. That's correct. The 2019 Lion King, directed by Jon Favreau. And I said very confidently on the program that there is not one single live-action shot in the movie. Right. No cameras rolled on this picture is what you told me. Uh, That is incorrect. Now, just to defend myself here, Uh the story hadn't broken yet when we recorded that there was one real shot in the movie. But but you were so confident. I know. Like you 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 had inside sources or something. I put you down. Yeah. Yeah. there is one real shot in the movie. Mm-hmm. I believe it is it's shot of the sunrise. Okay. Very. It, it's either the first shot of the movie or one of the first. Yeah. Very first. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And it's just a shot of a sun rising. Yeah. And it's real. Oh. Indistinguishable from the rest of the movie. Uh, John Favreau said he left it in there just to see if people would notice. Okay. And apparently you did. I yeah, did apparently not, you did not Yeah. <laughs> I was like, man, this sunset doesn't look convincing at all. <laughs> John Favreau's getting one over <laughs> you on yeah, you. Yeah, this CG sun is terrible. terrible. <laughs> um. So, yeah, corrections. We haven't done one in a while, but there it is. Yeah, there it is. Um, so our next story this week, uh, we do want to mention that uh, local 757 video store, a longtime institution on Collie Avenue, yep. uh, Narrow Video is going to be closing down. Yeah, it's the last of a dying breed, man. Um, this has been a staple of Ghent and Norfolk for uh, 30 years. Yeah, I, I believe, believe that's a- I believe 89 that's right. is yeah. when it opened. Yeah. I'm very sad about that. I've, I've never rented from them, but I'm very sad. I'm a, probably part of the reason that you they're know, closing. But yeah, I've sad. also not patronized the business yeah. enough, um, and now now I feel really now I feel about crappy that. about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they have a Facebook page um, for anyone that's interested in helping out because they still need help to maintain the collection. Mm-hmm. Um, they're trying to keep their massive library of over forty thousand films together after the store closes and they need funds to make sure that that can happen um so you can go to their facebook page narrow video um to find out ways you can donate they always accept donations they are also selling lots of merchandise um you can buy t-shirts off of amazon i just did that 
and that's that's twenty five dollars to the to the cause. Um, but yeah, really sad. Um, I was I was pretty. I don't want to say I was uh, shocked, but I did think that they were going to last a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, and that's the end of video stores in this area. Yeah. I mean, and I think most of the country is, is void of them right. too. So. Uh, All right. So you ready? To get, you ready to get into some Hollywood news, gentlemen? Yeah, let's, let's do it. Do it. What right, you got? So we have some news on a possible director for the sequel to Venom. So. Venom one, yes, uh, best film of twenty eighteen. Mm. I mean, it's better than it had any right to be. I, got, I think it really got snubbed Ooh, at the like Oscars. That. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's a problematic film in a lot of ways. Problematic, but, yeah. How so? I mean, I I don't think the symbiote effects are like great, particularly the end. I think the end you fight just mean is like it's anti- a, like a movie with problems. I sure, think problematic. Yeah. I think insinuates that there's like some socially. Some troubling okay, aspect. sure, sure. <laughs> Yeah, I was waiting for that. I was like, oh, I was like, you got a, like a hot take on it. Yeah. It's very offensive to symbiotes in general. I mean, it quite literally does represent toxic masculinity in that the symbiote is toxic and has a masculine identity. And oh. they they purposely mispronounce the word symbiote. Yeah, what is up with that? Symbiote. Yeah, it's I ridiculous. Mean, it's, it's, it's a real ridiculous. word. It's, really it's not terrible. like a comic book word. Uh, but yeah, it's, I mean, listen, when you told me that they were going to make a Venom movie, I was like, this is going to be a steaming pile of garbage. Right. Mm. And it's it's not that. I think it's good. I liked it. Oh, okay. I would actually use the word good. Treasy, where do you wow. land on where do you land on Venom? I, I never saw Venom. And I love okay. Tom Hardy. Yeah. So I never Dude. saw I, I'm like I'm like a decade behind when it comes to Marvel movies. Okay, got it. Okay, got got it. Well, I don't want to call this a Marvel movie. Because oh, it, it's a Marvel character, right. but this is a Sony project. Sony, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Kevin Feige, Marvel Studios had nothing to do with yeah. it. Right. See, that's how far behind I am. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You gotta catch up. Um but here's the thing. You like Tom Hardy? I love Tom Hardy. This is a lot of Tom this Hardy. This is a lot of Tom oh, Hardy. He's making some choices. He is giving a capital P performance. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's really, really good. He's really having some fun with this role. Um, who who directed the 2018 Venom? Ruben Fleischer. Okay. That's a Zombieland guy. Yeah, yeah. So he's an accomplished director. I, I mean, you could say, yeah. Sure, I, yeah. I think he, some some people would call him like a journeyman. Okay, whatever. sure. But I don't think there's anything wrong with that. We are technical employees here at WTKR3. Right. So I don't, I don't, uh, I don't find any problem with people who just do a job well and execute a, a vision. <laughs> Uh, Chandler, do you have the list, the short list of candidates for uh, this directorial job? I don't have it handy, but I, th- I think I remember. Uh, okay. Either Rupert, Rupert Wyatt was yes. one of the names? Rupert Wyatt, yeah. That's, uh, that's one of them. He directed a 2011 picture, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Oh, that's one of your favorites, huh? That one, okay, so I love the Apes trilogy. Yeah. Treasy, have you seen the Apes trilogy? Yeah, um, like two out of three of them. Okay. I'm one of those guys. Okay, which ones have you seen? I saw, so I, I don't remember, the first the first and the second one. I haven't okay. seen the, the final one. Okay, yeah, the, yeah. the final one's dope. Um, the first one I think is the least good of the three, and that's the one that Rupert Wyatt directed. Um, then Matt Reeves took over. Mm-hmm. Matt Reeves, I think, is a genius. Cannot wait to see what he does with Batman. Um, but Rupert Wyatt, I think, is accomplished. All right. Um, you know, he's fine. Uh, and then what was, uh, Travis Knight? Travis Knight is the other person. So yeah. he's directed two films. Uh-huh. He's directed an uh, animated picture called Kubo and the Two Strings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, so I, I like Kubo and the Two Strings. Very yeah. good. Yeah. Um, he was the head of Leica Animation for a long time. Oh, wow. Before he directed that, which is, they're the, like, the only studio left doing stop motion. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he also directed Bumblebee last ah, year, mm-hmm. which is incredible. Never got with with John it. Cena. John Cena, yeah, he turns in a pretty good performance. I love John Cena, dude. Bumblebee yeah. twenty eighteen is dope. You've I seen remember, that? No, 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 I remember you saying that. that yeah, yeah, that it's great. Bumblebee man. was great. Yeah, yeah. Um, slept on. People sleep on it. Yeah. But the most interesting choice here, another uh, Planet of the Apes alum, Andy Serkis. Yeah, that's weird. Mm-hmm. Is it weird? Like, why, why do we think that's weird? He's directed two films. Yeah, 
both of them are projects that I perceived him to be very passionate about. Mm-hmm. One of them's called Breathe. Mm-hmm. It stars like Andrew Garfield. It's like one of those like period kind of like Oscar Beatty sob story type yeah. deals. And the other one was uh, the Jungle Book mm-hmm. movie that got yeah, totally slammed by the studio. Yeah, right, he yeah, ended up just right. dumping it on Netflix. And I, I couldn't finish it. I talked about it on the podcast. I, I turned it off. Well, I do have some, uh, some breaking news here. Um, Slash Film is reporting that uh, last night, Tom Hardy posts a photo of Andy Serkis yeah. on his Instagram. Takes it down, not 30 minutes later. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, so that seems pretty. That seems pretty. That doesn't really concrete. seem like an accident, though. That no. seems like something he would do to provoke the press. Right. Us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, Tom Hardy's a smart guy. He's, yeah. He's been in the game for a while. He knows what's going yeah. on. So, mm. I mean, I like Andy Circus a lot. I do too. Uh, you know, I don't know what it says about his career that this is what he's doing, though. That he's just picking up a sequel to like a what most people would consider a subpar superhero property. I mean, do you think he does some kind of uh, performance capture? Uh, I, that, that was what he was doing before. Well, yeah, he was like known as a consultant. Right. I and mean, that was his big thing was after Lord of the Rings, um, he became known as like the guy for motion capture, performance capture. Right, because he did King Kong. He did Planet of the Apes. Yep. Um, uh, he did, I mean, he was Smeagol in uh, Lord, of, Lord the of the Rings. Right. And that's like the big, that that's was the like, big thing. Yeah. They, they, they tried to get him an Oscar nomination for his performance in that. Right. Um, so, I mean, I think that if anything, this is an indicator that Venom will look really good. Right, <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Which it doesn't really in the first movie. No, it doesn't. And maybe he can make us believe that Woody Harrelson is Carnage. The, I, that's going to be the bigger stretch for me. Yeah, that one's going to be tough. They really put themselves in a corner. I Listen, I, I really like Woody Harrelson. I would just, I just want to see what his take on that character is. I like Woody, too. Yeah. I mean, and this is cool. I mean, Circus and, and Harrelson worked together on the Apes movie that you didn't see. Yeah, Thor for I the Planet see. of the Apes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think this is going to be cool. Do you, what do you guys think? Um, I don't know, man. I, I'm I, I'm learning so much just listening to you guys, and I, I'm we're I experts. I take. We're experts on the least academic type of film, and right? Yeah, the, popcorn, the, the, the popcorn, popcorn. Yeah, I mean, because Venom for me was like a throwaway movie. There's like, oh, this. Let me just see how bad this is. Um, I have like no stakes in a sequel to Venom, so mm. you know. Can I tell a funny story? And yeah. I know we're on time. Yeah. Uh, my buddy Christian, uh, avid listener of the podcast, shout out to Christian. Uh, I, for his birthday, I got him a a Blu-ray of a 4K Blu-ray of Venom, mm-hmm. and he has not opened it. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think he. I told him I got him in a text message. I was like, I got you the best superhero movie of 2018, right? <laughs> and uh, it was a bit of. And are are it. you salty about this because you want that code for the digital? I uh, I copy? opened it like a month later. I went to his house and I was like, "Hey, can I get this digital? Because <laughs> we we share a digital account." <laughs> oh my god! Um, but yeah, he has not watched it, wow. and I don't think he ever will. So Christian, um, hey, if you're listening, watch Venom, dude. It's good. Yeah, there's you, a crazy scene in a lobster tank. Listen, you got to get you got to get caught up for Andy Serkis's Venom too. I mean, yeah, this is clearly it's a front runner for 2021 or whenever this movie yeah. is going to drop, right? Yeah. I mean, I think we can call it now like uh, effects of uh, lead actor, supporting actor, and of course it's Hardy Harrelson. I mean, I would uh, think best director, I think this is the one Serkis is going to get it for. I mean, I would think Hardy gets nominated for lead actor for Eddie Brock supporting for the voice of the symbiote. That's genius. I mean, yeah. that would be a crazy shift in the dynamic here. 
I, I don't I don't know if that's going to happen, but we'll watch the BAFTAs and we'll Actually, see. Actually, yeah, yeah. Because the BAFTAs sure, are sure. the, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so our second story this week, uh, we're getting our first look at Martin Scorsese's next film. Oh, yeah. Uh, a trailer for The Irishman. The Irishman is notable for its use of de-aging technology. And this is our first look to see what a de-aged yes. Robert De Niro looks like. So, I mean, right. this has been in the, in the pipes for a long time. Right. right. And they did a first look. Which was it was like a trailer. It was it during the Super Bowl? During the Super yeah. Bowl. It was just text. It was nothing. Yeah. yeah. It was a bunch it, of, it was yeah. a lot of wide shots. Yeah. Yeah. Was, or, or, there was not even any footage in it. It was a, no, a, bu- right. a, ca- a bullet casing, like falling yeah, and just the actors. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, that yeah. was like very disappointing. So yeah. it's been five months and now we got a trailer that's ready. Right. This is coming out like this awards season. Yeah, it's coming out in November. November. Um I think, yeah, the, obviously the big takeaway is, like, how does the de-aging work? Because I think we're in a big shift, like, technologically. Right. Um, and, and with, like, deep fakes and everything on the internet, like, mm-hmm. this is a strange time. I think, historically, this period of, like, this 10 years here is going to be really important. Right. Um, and there's another big trailer that dropped this week um, that I want to compare this to. Okay. Uh, because I, I think there's a lot to, to draw on here. Um, and then we're actually going to bring back a segment that we haven't done in a long time. Treasy, oh. I think this is going to make you very happy. Yes. We're talking, of course, about everyone's favorite bad boy. Uh-huh. The Man in Black. Yeah. The Freshest Prince. Okay. Wild Wild Willie Smith in a segment we like to call... Will Call! Hey. That's right, it's Will Call, America's favorite segment in which the Act 3 boys check in and see what's up with Will Smith. Steven, you know what I'm going to talk about. Yeah. It's the Gemini Man trailer. That's right. Um, so this is our second look at Gemini Man. That's right. We talked about it the last Yeah, we talked about when the, the, the teaser trailer came out. And I and think our main takeaway was how weird young Will Smith looked. Yes. And I, looked- in the kind of movie critics group chat, there was also much to be said about that as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know if I jumped in too much other than it looks terrible. <laughs> but um, it's just weird because we actually have a reference to what Will looks like yes. at a younger age. And right. I feel like the de-aging technology does not look like No, it does not look like the like Will that we saw age. on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Right. Well, see, that's interesting because I feel like it does look like him what looked weird to me was like his movements look totally yes. unnatural to yeah, yeah yeah and Agreed. like any shot where you could clearly see his face and he was talking or emoting i was like that is not a person right but i think like the model itself if you look at it still looks pretty good you don't agree well no no, no. i i was gonna say i was gonna say to that i wonder if that is a device of the plot like because isn't the the Gemini man? Well, I don't know what what they call younger Will. <laughs> the Gemini I was, man. I'm assuming he is the titular <laughs> Gemini, Gemini man. Isn't he? But isn't he supposed to be like this? Maybe you know he's this mechanical you know uh, war product. You know I, what I mean? It's possible. So maybe maybe I don't know. I'm trying to shoot him bail. That here. seems like <laughs> that seems like something would say in a, something that Ang Lee would say in an interview after the movie's poorly received. Sure. You're like, well, that was the whole intention. Yeah. <laughs> um, but. I want to compare this to the Irishman trailer um, because my first impression upon watching the Irishman trailer was this looks pretty good. Yeah. Yes. I think that the effects work is pretty subtle in that, like, they don't make Joe Pesci, Robert De Niro, Pacino, they don't make them look like young men. Yeah, it's not Mm -hmm. 20-year-old Robert De Niro. Right. Right. They're doing, like, 50- or 60-year-old versions of these guys. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think... Because they still have so much character in their face, it lends a little bit more credibility. Sure. Whereas, like, young Will Smith 
uh, in the first trailer for Gemini Man, I would say he looked like way too smooth. Yeah. And and just not natural. Yeah. The second trailer for Gemini Man, though, I think is a big improvement. Mm. I I think it is too. I remember thinking, wow, this. I don't know what they did in the span of like three months since we right. first saw a trailer for this, yeah. but this looks a lot more believable. Um, you know, he still doesn't look like what real young Will Smith looked like in the 90s, but he looks like a believable version of what old Will Smith Correct. from Gemini Man would look like. Yeah, I agree. That's interesting. You know, I kind of feel the same way about, like, Robert De Niro specifically mm-hmm. in the Irishman trailer. Right. Because he, he's, like, a little bit thicker yeah. than he was, like, when Goodfellas came out or Casino. Sure. sure. Right. But it's, like— what if Robert De Niro, like the size that he is now and everything, was just younger? Right. So it doesn't necessarily look like Bob De Niro from, you know, Bobby De Niro. Yeah, Bob. It doesn't yeah. look like him from the version that we know, but it's close enough, and I recognize it as right. Robert De Niro. I have a question, though. So so they used it on Pesci as well? Yes. yes. Oh, they did good. The version of Pe- Pesci looks very old these yeah, days. Pesci, yeah, Pesci, even when the oldest version of him you see in the trailer uh-huh. is de-aged. Oh, my goodness. He looks, I didn't realize it. He looks elderly yeah. in real life. Oh, like, he's, oh. he's in his 80s. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, but, yeah, I think that. That just speaks to the subtlety of the work. Yeah, they did because an awesome job. I had to watch the trailer a couple times to even tell, like, did they really like do this? Right. Because you can't really see. And I there's one shot that I, I pointed out in the kind of movie critics group chat. Again, listen to the kind of movie critics podcast. Yeah. Uh, that there's a, a shot of Al Pacino on the phone, mm-hmm. and his mouth is completely enshrouded with shadow. Mm-hmm. And I think. That kind of lighting to me, I was like, oh, it's because mouths often look weird in CG. Mm-hmm. Mouths are hard to do. Um, like think of like mustache Superman in Justice League. Yeah. Right. Uh, but that's also like it's a creative choice. Like it's a an, an impending doom maybe of the scene. He's enshrouded in shadow. It speaks to his character. Mm-hmm. Right. But like it can also be a way to get around some budgetary constraints. Right. So that I think the filmmaking is really important here. And on the note of the filmmaking, I found out last night that they're using two completely different types of technology. Um what we would traditionally refer to as de-aging, mm-hmm. right? Like what they're doing in The Irishman right. is like the same process that Marvel Studios would use where like the actors show up in costume. They have like tracking dots on their face, but they're giving the performance in costume, in hair and makeup. And then basically what the digital effects artists do is they go in and they apply like quote unquote digital makeup. Sure. So they go in every frame and they smooth out um you know the the cheeks they they smooth out wrinkles in some cases they create um like a digital overlay to go over that person sure but the actors still there giving that complete performance gemini man does not do that they do something way crazier mm. which is will smith performed young will smith's role in motion capture and performance capture mm. so he's wearing the tights with the balls on it Right. He's got the camera hanging off of his head. He's got the dots all over his face. His face is like lit with the lights. And they created a completely CG model of young Will Smith that is giving the performance. Right. Oh. So so no natural acting it is in this not, sense. There's nothing wow. photographed there wow. at all. It is, they reference Will Smith's right, performance, sure. obviously, because he's the same actor. But it's completely CG. Right. Mm. That's interesting. When you think about that, the Gemini Man effects are incredibly impressive. Yeah, very yeah. impressive, yeah. Because I think you look at like Rogue One with Governor Tarkin, mm-hmm. we talk about that all the time, uh, Peter Cushing, yeah. may he rest in peace, looks to me terrifying in that movie. Right. It, it's not convincing. I think the model is good, but the way he moves is not good at all. Mm-hmm. And I think you look at the second trailer for Gemini Man, it's like, 
some shots I can't tell. Mm, and right. that's nuts that we're at the stage where you can have a completely CG person like in a relatively tight shot. Right. And they look real. And they look real. And so. I thought it was a real person. So what was he acting to? He's in the scene. He's performing. You're right. But he's everything is digital. Right. Like So it's not that they're touching up his face. It's that it's they take him out and put a completely digital Will Smith in. Sure. It's more similar to like what Mark Ruffalo does for Hulk. For Hulk, yeah. Uh, especially like in Avengers Endgame. Right. Where he's on set giving the performance, right? But they, they paint him out. And then drop in the model of the Hulk. So, but uh, but what I'm saying is the actual Will Smith that's there, right? Yeah. We're gonna call him Willie One. Right? Will One. Okay. <laughs> Willie <Yeah>. One. <laughs> Who yeah. is Willie One performing to? Clive Owen or whoever yeah, else. Yeah, whoever. Or maybe there's a stand-in if he's dealing with with Will, himself. Will, if Will right. One and Will Two are in the same scene. Yeah, yeah. it's gotcha. like a parent trap situation. They right. Go, yeah. go to the B angle. Right. Yeah. Will gets suited up. Right. And oh. then they do Ten, the tennis ball on a string. So yeah, yeah I think. It's really that's an important distinction because I, you're going to get different results here. Sure. And so what the success of the Irishman and the success of Gemini Man may determine which route becomes more commonly used because we're still this is still the burgeoning of this technology, right. really, as far as making photoreal people in mm-hmm. CG. Mm-hmm. And one of these movies might be the way to do it. I mean, if Gemini, if Gemini Man by the time it comes out is successful, I think that means big things for. Like Hollywood and the big budget effects industry, sure. mm-hmm. yeah, in general. Yeah, um, this is probably the most serious will call we've ever done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, I think Gemini Man looks looks all right. The, tra- I mean, the trailer is not great. The, I mean, it looks like a very generic science fiction movie. Yeah, the story looks. Um, to me, the technology is much more is the, the more interesting thing here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Uh, I, I know after that first trailer, we were feeling real weak on yeah. Gemini Man. I'm feeling slightly better about it. Me too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah I, I think it looks good. I am worried about the screenplay. Yeah, sure. There's nothing interesting. Right. I mean, there's an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. I think it's called like The Sixth Day. Yes. Which also, he's like a secret agent and he gets cloned. Yeah. And it's like the same thing. And that was like 20 years ago. Yeah. Right. So I just, this is not original to me at all. And it, I, it seems like just an excuse to do the technology. Right. It probably is. I mean, but Will Smith is great. Yeah, I, he was he was giving an interview and he was like, "Oh, I couldn't have done this performance when I was actually 23 because I wasn't a good actor." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "Now I've got all this experience, and so young Will Smith gets to have the gravitas of older Will right, Smith." And I'm like, yeah. "That's actually interesting." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it is interesting. All right, gentlemen. Act two of the show. What we've been watching. Yeah, we got to get through this. Through this. Um, but Treasy, since you're our guest today, yeah, why, yeah. why don't you hit us up first? What have you been watching? You know what? On a whim, I caught Euphoria on HBO. I saw a lot of people talking about it. A uh, very interesting show. It's like watching kids on acid. Hmm. You, you remember like, the movie Kids from like the mid? The, the, so I was uh, like eight when that came out. So. Okay, uh, I was a full blown teenager. I, I have never seen. I've never seen. You never seen Kids? No, I've never oh, seen Kids. It's you're the oldest of us for sure. Is that what's going on? And yeah. what happens here is the oldest person gets racked on. So oh man, Steven, Steven finally has. It's usually me. It's usually you. Yeah, but, yeah, but uh, Euphoria is really good, man. It's uh, uh, it makes me realize two things. One, I'm glad social media didn't exist when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't say the same for you, Chandler. It, but, it was different than it is now. Okay, I mean, I graduated in 2012. But radically different landscape just in the seven years since then. Right. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Two, I didn't do enough drugs in high school. I think that's, <laughs> that's the second conclusion I came to. I didn't do enough drugs. But uh, it's, it's a really good show, man. Um, oh, there's a lot of peni. Peni, the plural, the plural oh, firm. Oh, on, on HBO, yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. So that's like very much HBO's 
MO. Damn. Yeah, that's their thing. Yeah. Usually, yeah. I would say it's exploitative female nudity. Right. Sure. <laughs> and uh, you're saying it's male. It, tells, it, t- yeah. it tends to air on the male side with euphoria. What is this show about? It is about the lives of high school kids mm-hmm. that do drugs and how their lives intertwine. So, um, uh, and it, it's not Sounds just like a loose on, concept. It's, it's, it's not really all, it's not hinged on all of them doing drugs. Really Zendaya is the real drug addict here. Okay. So, and she's sort of, she's sort of like the, the anchor for the show. Zendaya gives us a, an insight into all these characters that she sort of interacts with. Okay. And how their stories intertwine. So there's like a twofold thing going. It's like the background of a character on an episode, but also the progression of the story is happening at the same time. And it's just all based around high school. The high school experience, man. It's really good. Has that that show completed its run yet, or is we still in the middle of the uh, the first season? No, I think it's one or two more episodes left. It's like episode seven right now. Okay. I I saw the trailer, um, and it looks like a visually rich show. Every single episode, I find myself saying, how did they do that shot? There's always at least one shot where I say how did they do that shot? It shot like a, just a huge music video. Are you into the story or are you just kind of like hanging with it? No, I'm into the story. I didn't it? think I'd be into the story. Okay. I, I thought it was going to be a thing where it was just, it was, visually it was just going to carry me. Yeah. But I'm really invested in, in the characters. They do a really good job, I think, of um, keeping these kids shallow, yeah. but enough depth to understand like the path. You understand what I'm saying? The, yeah, like, I do. You know, you don't expect too much from these characters. They're kids. Yeah. Um, But... Yeah, it's the the circumstances are it's crazy, man. It's hard to explain, but it's a really good show. That's a pretty glowing recommendation. And I know that you were watching another t- television program. Oh man, yep. the one that you're probably the only person that watches. Yeah, and I'm finding out. I guess this is considered a dad show. I'm now the dad guy <laughs> that watches dad it is, shows. It is hashtag. Yeah, I've dad, never even dad heard cinema. of this. You never so. heard of Yellowstone? <laughs> no. Yellowstone. Is it, is, it a, is it about the national park? S- some sort of. It's like adjacent to it. Yeah, so it's like okay. a day to day of the uh, the office proceedings at the uh, the visitor center for Yellowstone National Park. Right? Is this is this <laughs> like a, is this like a comedy? Like what is this? No, 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 it's a western. It's 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 an American frontier show. This was a spinoff of Parks and Rec, right? <laughs> I mean, that's what it sounds like. If you explain this to me. <laughs> so, all right. So I'm uh, Taylor Sheridan. Are okay. you familiar with Taylor? Yes, Taylor I Sheridan? am. He's he's becoming one of my favorites in okay. terms of a, a writer director but basically this is his show what are he, some projects just for the listeners um he did he wrote and directed wind river he wrote sicario one and two okay um hell or high water he wrote and um what else man He's did he a, do that that netflix movie which one live by dark or whatever hold the no, dark. no 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 that's jeremy Saulnier. okay but he's they, another one they have they got have they collaborated they need to okay they need to yeah, fast. bring it on they have similar tones i think in their work very much into that whole crime they they understand crime like yes. they're like they're, to me they're the best versions of michael mann right now okay right? like uh, like yeah, sort yeah. of yeah, like okay. neo michael mann yeah um uh but it's yeah kevin costner he's he's a patriarch of a family uh he has three kids and um He's like the biggest landowner in Montana. Mm-hmm. So what's happening is there's a bunch of different entities that are like encroaching on his land. There's a there's a corporation trying to build like a casino hotel. Mm-hmm. There's a you know obviously with the whole story of like Native Americans and stuff like that. There's there's a very well educated Native American rich guy that's like basically saying I'm going to steal your land the way that your people stole it from me. Oh, so it, that's it's cool. it's just so it's about him protecting his frontier 
Um, in every episode, there's a new threat, man. It's it's really crazy. So this man. is like a legit western in the modern age. Yeah, I think so, man. It's like it's like a western meets Godfather. Oh, that's cool. You know where it's like family and protection and. You I've know. been meaning to check it out. I mean, you've been recommending. Where do you it for even see this thing? I've never even heard of this before. Paramount Network. It's Paramount. Old, ne- old oh, Spike okay. TV. Spike. Yeah. Spike. Oh, okay, Spike yeah. TV. All right. So an actual over the air. That's probably why I've never heard of it. Yeah. yeah so I'm not watching TV. Not watching TV over the air very much these days. Yeah, yeah. I don't either. It, it's got to pop up on streaming though at some point. I would imagine. I, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I, I have a my old roommate works for Cox, man. So I just oh, log in. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. I steal it basically. No, I understand. <laughs> yeah. uh, do you? Is this season two? This is season two. Okay. Yeah, okay. It's very, very easy. Once you get involved with this story, it's easily bingeable. Okay. Um, but it's just about. It's really taking that first hit, man. Watching that first episode. Man. Word. Yeah. yeah. I love it. I love Yellowstone. Stephen Wall, what have you been watching? So it's not really so much what I've been watching. Uh, it's but what I've been reading. Um, are you guys familiar? Oh my God. Steven just put on a pair of spectacles. Well, I'm old, so you know. The, yeah, they have the hard. little string in the back to make sure they don't. Right, so I don't off. lose them, right? Because you know, he's just like, well, "Where did I set my glasses down?" Right. Um, are you guys familiar with the uh, the film Alien Three? <laughs> yes. Yes. I okay. Am. That's a so, David Fincher joint, right? It, it, it is, is David Fincher's first film uh, when he was 27 years old. I would say his best wow. film. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you are not in the majority on that one. Um, so Alien 3 had a very uh, long road to production. They went through uh, like 10 different writers, produced like five different unproduced drafts of that film to get to the point where they got a script to shoot with David Fincher, uh, who then got frustrated with all the studio's involvement and actually walked off the project towards the end of production there. Yeah. Um, but among the, the scripts that were cobbled together – um, is one by noted sci-fi author William Gibson. Mm. Um, this was the first uh, draft of the script that was put together um, where, uh, at this point, Sigourney Weaver, not very happy with 20th Century Fox, uh, they didn't think she was going to uh, participate in a third Alien film. Mm. So this film actually focuses on the char- – or this script actually focuses on the characters of uh, Hicks, who is Michael Bean. Mr. Bean. And Mr. Bean, c- correct. Uh, and uh, uh, Bishop, who's Lance Hendrickson. Um and they are on a space station uh, dealing with a group of uh, almost separatists from like everywhere else called the Union of Progressive Peoples. And it's a very um, – it's an, it's an allegory for like communism. The people use a lot of socialist terms. Oh, wow. And it has a lot of Cold War um, – Was this being written like while the wall was still up? Uh, it, yeah. This was like I think being written like 90, 91. Mm, okay. Um, I've never like read a screenplay before. So if you ever read a screenplay, it's not just the dialogue. It doesn't read like a book. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I, I started reading this because um, Audible uh, did an audio drama of this script, and they put it out as William Gibson's Alien 3, and they got Michael Bean and Lance Hendricks. Mr. Because, Bean. Yeah, Mr. Bean, because they're not doing much these days. Um, <laughs> yeah. They actually got them to reprise their roles. That's cool. Um, and it's like an, an interesting project. It's like – Everything that like goes into like a troubled production and yeah. like why the studio was dissatisfied with this, why this ended up not getting made, just like a very interesting history lesson. What's in. your review of this as a story? Um, it's not as good as the actual Alien Three that oh. we have today, which is itself not very good. No, it, it, but it's like um, it's like a monster movie that takes place in like a space station that's kind of like a shopping mall. Um, with communists. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Sounds dense. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, that's, there, there's there's a lot going on. Maybe maybe it just went over your head, man. Maybe you didn't really get it. Maybe maybe not. <laughs> you know, it's interesting though because the actual Alien Three, yes, like notably kills those characters off. It does, yeah. Uh, it, uh, Henriksen is like Bishop is in it. He's for, like, in a it, scene. but as a disembodied, yeah, like yeah. a head. Yeah, and Michael Bean is like, like opening credits is like opening off. credits, but actually like sued uh, the studio because they used his likeness. Like, used his likeness. And they he, built a dummy with his likeness, right. and he got more money. For not appearing in that film, yeah, uh, than he did for actually appearing in Aliens. Well, so, yeah. uh, sure, to show it a 20th century Fox lesson. That's right. You know, don't be um, shady. That's right. Um, Chandler, what have you been watching? Okay, so I'm going to be real quick because yep. we got to go. We got to go. Um, but I have been watching a different 20th century Fox film. Yes, I've been watching James Cameron's Avatar. Oh, yeah. First time. Uh, no, okay. I've seen it before. Okay, I've seen it twice. I saw it twice in the theater in mm. two thousand nine. What uh, what is what's got you uh, revisiting um, Pandora? I am going to Disney World in just a few short days. Oh, a humble brag there. Yeah, I know. And so I'll be absent next week. Yes, you're gonna you're gonna take over the show. Yeah. Um, but all, all me all the time. So if you tune in for Chandler, sorry. You're gonna you gotta get a guest. You can't just do it yourself. Oh, I was gonna do a clip show. Well, I'll suggest uh, comedian Forrest Steel. Comedian Forrest Steel would be a great guest. Yeah, I think you would too. Um. So, yeah, I'm going to Disney World uh, with my girlfriend, Macy, uh-huh. and we're very excited about it. Um, in talking to Macy, I discovered that she has never seen Avatar and thus would not understand what's going on in Animal Kingdom. She's like, what's a banshee? Why are we writing right, it? there's a whole Pandora section. So yeah. I was like, okay, well, you got to watch this movie. I was like, I don't like it very much, but we can watch it. Okay. I don't think Avatar is an engaging story. I think it's incredibly derivative. This is not really a hot take. The people have been saying this for 10 years. Mm-hmm. I felt this way when I was 15, too. I was ahead of the game. Yeah. Um, on, upon rewatching, I will say the story is even worse. Okay. <laughs> Uh, it really, there's nothing original. The dialogue is terrible. Mm-hmm. I would say it's very poorly written. Characters literally just speak their whole, like, the whole, like, short, li- the short description of a character that you would see in, like, a um, a look Bible or whatever for mm-hmm. each character, mm-hmm. they just say that out loud. Oh, wow. So, like, Giovanni Ribisi shows up, and he's like, yeah, you know, I'm a business guy. I'm kind of the head of this operation. I'm a little shady. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's terrible. Yeah. Um, How do the effects hold up? I didn't think... They were that impressive in 09. Yeah, me either. Um, I And I, they're even less impressive now. But that's unfair because it's been 10 years. So, like, we know, like, now we can create convincing 100% CG backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Like, in The Lion King, mm-hmm. which you would think if you weren't told that they only the animals were digital. But really nothing is real. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, Avatar looks like a video game. It looks like a cartoon movie. Um, I think anytime you cut between like the stuff on Pandora back to the people, mm-hmm. it's like, whoa, it's okay, boring. we're in a different movie. And even like in the military installation, which is all digital, it's like these are real people on a green screen. It's so clear. Mm. Um, and I, I, the only reason I even feel comfortable railing on it that hard is because I felt the same way in 09. Right. Yeah. Uh, the, the use of 3D is revolutionary. The way they shot the movie with like virtual reality cameras has become the standard for mm. this type of thing. So. Like the movie did a lot to move the film industry forward, right? But yeah, I'm I'm not impressed. Uh, and yeah, the story is just really, really like. Well, that I, seems to be the space that Cameron just lives in. I, I just want to push film forward and yeah, be the first I, to do it. Yes, you know? he seems like much more a technician now. Yeah, granted, he's like, craftsman. yeah, I mean, he's he's doing uh, he's doing incredible things and had the the number one and two highest grossing movies Forever. of all time until yeah. until a couple until weeks ago, recently, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, the man deserves to be commended. Right. 
and but I just like I wonder what Avatar Two is gonna bring because like there's some crazy stuff in Avatar. I remember like the the CG water in that movie is very impressive and like totally holds up. Hmm. Um, what can he do with Avatar Two through Five <laughs> that are gonna come out? Like, is that gonna change the game? I and mean, right. we were talking about like some movie that might end up being nothing, like Gemini Man. Right. We're talking about that changing the game. Like, right. Maybe what's really gonna change it is Avatar Two through Five. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. It's hard for me to imagine the Navi, though, like ever looking convincing because I don't even like the designs for those characters. I think they look silly. Mm-hmm. Like big blue cat people. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> it, what looks better? The Navi, mm-hmm. big blue cat people, yeah. as I just said, or the, the cats. Uh, cat people the cats. and cats. Oh. Yeah. Um, I mean, at least the Navi have faces that are in proportion with their skulls. Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the thing about the Navi, it, what was the whole pitch for that? It was like, hey, okay, guys, there's people, but, like, they're blue, and they're real long. They're real long. Like, yeah, limbs just, long. Yep. <laughs> they're so yep. skinny. Faces long. Hair yep. long. Great. How much do you need? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Number one movie of all time. <laughs> yeah. Act three of the show. Uh, it's time to break down the ninth film by Quentin Tarantino, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, we've all seen it. Uh, so there's a lot to chew on yes. with this film. Um, you know, this film has a spectacular cast, I will say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, Chandler, you were you were telling me um, off mic that uh, we almost got some different cast members in this film than, than what we ended up seeing. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you remember, but like when they were casting this feature, it came down to Brad Pitt versus Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And I'm assuming that they Tom Cruise was up for the same role, right. the Cliff Booth role, which I think, I mean, I, I love Brad Pitt in this role, mm-hmm. spoilers, but uh, I think Tom Cruise would have been a more interesting choice. Sure, yeah. Because mm. um, I think Brad Pitt is doing something here that we've kind of seen him He's he's playing before. Brad Pitt. Yeah, you know, he's, he's doing his. I think like funny Brad Pitt is like kind of the same in every movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, even you know he'll do, do a different accent or whatever, but like we know the shtick. Right. Tom Cruise doing this role would have been like crazy. Yeah. Um, especially given like what we see, um, in terms of this character's background and how I I think this is a very, a very honest performance in that it lacks ego. Yeah. The, this role of Cliff Booth, mm-hmm. um, I would have loved to see Tom Cruise in it. However, Brad Pitt, I think, knocks it out of the park. Here. I think it is. I mean, it's a very understated performance. Yeah, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't have to go over the top with this, right? And I think it works. Yeah, I mean, I think you could say that about a lot of actors in the film. I think Tarantino is great at walking right up to the line of like corny and cheesy, sure. and flirting with it, mm-hmm. and then backing off. Yeah, so where it still stays believable and it still feels like honest for the world. Um, we should say I forget at the top of everything. We're gonna talk non spoilers. Non spoilers first. first. That's how it goes. Oh, yeah, three every time. But non-spoilers. I never say it until we're like three minutes into the yeah. conversation. So you don't you don't have to if you haven't seen it you don't have to tune out just yet. Yeah, stick around. We'll let you know right. when it's about to get spoilery. Right. Um, I mean, let's just break down actor by actor real yeah. quick. Yeah, like, sure. Leo, how'd you guys feel about? I thought it? Thought it was great. Oh, he's he, he, you know he won an Academy Award for Revenant, which is a nothing performance. Mm. Um, I don't know if it's a nothing. Yeah. There's a lot of something going There's on. A lot of something, but like, come on. I mean, the, I, I don't know. I thought I thought that movie was unbearable. That's uh, all right. Um, I'm not even going <laughs> to dignify that, that was cold. response. Um, but uh, I, I I can definitely see Leo getting a nomination here. 
Um, I hope he does because yeah. this is the movie that he should win for. But yeah, I mean, I think his performance here is incredible. Um, yeah, Leo, I I think he's the most impressive here. So he specifically is doing the like hammiest performance. Yes, he's really playing with like, you know, playing it big, mm-hmm. over exaggerating, um, walking right up to the line of unbelievability. But right. then the emotional truth is there. Yes, and so I, he's so relatable. Yeah. There's a there's a there's so much layering I feel like that's going on with you know this uh, this this character what, what was his name uh, Rick Dalton Rick Dalton Rick, best name. character name that's a that's a, that's a, that, well that best name after Dirk Diggler I would say Dirk Diggler that's the best name solid. okay um, um, but um yeah you know I just I love the parallel of the character and we're watching the character sort of you know play into his fear but break through it and yes. there, there was just a lot there and I, I i found myself saying like as an actor this has to be hard yeah. to be playing a character that is on the edge of not being unrelatable or yep. you know being you know I just he's he's very there. vulnerable very. and not in a revenant way where he's like physically vulnerable right this is he's a guy emotionally unstable right which and, is the more interesting for leo Right. I think because he's he got into this this stretch of like very serious roles where he's like playing he's trying to get the Oscar yeah. for years right yeah. and I think that's boring it's more interesting to see him like have fun like yeah. Django and this movie I right. think he needs to keep working with Tarantino yeah. if there's this tenth or perhaps even eleventh film from him like. Leo needs to be in it. I think it's very good for his career. Well, this is also an interesting uh, character for a Tarantino film because you don't see a lot of vulnerable male characters in Tarantino films. Mm. You don't think so? I don't. No, I don't think so. Mm. I'm um, trying to think like so a character. A character is like really showing a vulnerability and emotion, like kind of like Leo is like, in yeah. this. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah, mm. um, I like that. And you know, for me, one of the things that I I really liked about the film is that. Uh, for large, the majority of it, it doesn't feel like a traditional Tarantino film. Yeah, correct. Um, and I really like that. Um, I mean, this film is gorgeous uh, in you know its its recreation of the '60s Hollywood yes. uh, scenery. This is maybe one of the best production designs ever. Yeah, <laughs> like I mean, I, ever. I I I was so sucked into this movie yeah. um, that you know it was just it. Gorgeous to look at, yeah. um, and you know, well performed. Uh, can we talk about Margot Robbie's performance because she is third build yeah. in in the credits? But I would say deservedly so. Do you, you don't deserve. So? I mean, she's. I don't think that she's like a lot to do in this film. I I disagree. Okay, and I've thought about this because I, I heard a lot of critics say that. Okay, um, from like the time that they first screened this at festivals, I think she does have a lot to do. She does not have a lot to say. Okay, that's but, a fair point. Ooh, but I think that's a fair her, point. she's in a lot of the movie, mm-hmm. just acting right. wordlessly. Yeah. And I think that so much of what roots the themes of this film and what roots the tone is in her performance. Sure. When we cut away to Sharon Tate, that stuff is crucial for you to frame the movie around. Mm. Um, and when we get into spoilers and we're talking about what's this movie trying to say, I think that she really factors into that. She doesn't have many lines, but I think in terms of embodying the spirit of Sharon Tate um, and really anchoring us in this period and uh, and more specific things with her character, like where she's at emotionally, I think she's great at getting that across. Sure, yeah. Um, and, I, I mean, who else would you bill third if not her? You know what I mean? I mean, this is really a two-hander. This right, movie. no, yeah. Right. This is It's, it's the, two, the two leads here. Yeah. Treasy, what, what performance stood out to you in Once Upon a Time? Oh, um... 
And I'm asking, of course, about the ABC Disney adaptation. <laughs> Uh, once, once upon a time, time. Upon a yeah. Time. yeah. Well, well, now that you say that, <laughs> um, no, I for oh, I well, I tell you, my favorite scene was with uh, Trudy, the the young girl, right? She's incredible. Yeah, she's uh, you know, children, act, child actors, very hit or miss. Uh, I'm gonna look up that actress's name, but yeah, she was amazing. Yeah, to me, that to me, that was the performance that I, I outside of you know the the main you know the Rick Dalton and uh, and Cliff, which I really loved. I found myself loving this little girl like I wish she was a bigger portion of the story but I understood what she was and what she served and uh yeah I was I was drawn to her when I when I I believe she's nine years old too which is just crazy more talent than I've ever had in my lifetime the scene that she shares a lengthy scene with Mm -hmm. with Leo and I don't want to get into what it's about Julia Butler Butters Butters? Julia Butters Mm -hmm. is the is the actor is she is she like somebody's famous kid or something or did they do like an audition process I wonder because I mean she she is really a wealth of talent um she's appeared in a transparent the uh Amazon Prime show yeah no she she's really great and I mean you're talking about like playing opposite Leo many would say he's one of the this generation's greatest actors yeah. right. and she's the alpha of, yeah. of that right. dynamic and it totally works yeah i mean so she's works. so good yeah and like child performances i think like some stick out like i think dakota fanning who's also in this movie yeah, yeah. she was one of the great child actresses mm-hmm. um i think jacob tremblay in room like one of the great child performances in recent memory and uh, and now this young lady, uh, Julia Butters. Mm-hmm. Julia Butters. Yeah, she's gonna have a long career ahead yeah. of her. I think. I hope anyway. Yeah, I hope too. Um, I want to get into what we think about the direction of this movie, and, and that's a broad term here because Tarantino wrote and directed this picture. Right. right. I, I'd say this is a very altruistic film. Yes. In terms of like, this is pretty unadulterated, straight from the brain of Quentin Tarantino. This is this is Tarantino. Um, you know, it, it is his his ego and it and all of it just laid out. Right, and how you feel mm. about Tarantino could inform how you feel about this film. Um, but if we're going to talk just directing, yeah, um, I think it's well. I think it's very well directed. Um, I think, uh, particularly, uh, there's a scene where they are shooting a TV show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, it's very tense. A lot of long takes, and I was totally sucked in. Uh, to this scene, to the part where I forgot we, I was watching a, a TV show that's happening within a movie. Right. You know, and then Leo has to at some point be like, "Oh, what's my line?" Right. Like, that's mm-hmm. a bit in the trailer. Yeah, yeah. So and, and yeah, that is an amazing moment. Is, is uh, beautifully directed. Um, the other scene that really stood out for me um, as far as direction was uh, when Cliff visits uh, Spawn Movie Ranch. Um, mm-hmm. The the tension. There's another bit that's in in the trailer. Yeah, as well. I'm just um, saying for the audience. For the audience, we're not right. spoiling not, here. Yeah. This is very yeah. light. Um, this, Trust us. This is very light. Yeah. Um, the, the the tension that Tarantino is able to build in yes. that scene, incredible. Yeah, mm. I think so. When we talk about directing, that's a broad umbrella term. Yeah, because I think a lot of things are incorporated in that, and that encapsulates like what the performances you're getting out of your actors, um, the editing, mm-hmm. uh, certainly the cinematography, the way the shots are framed is involved in that. And I I really want to get your perspective, Treasy, because. Mm-hmm. Steven and I work in TV, obviously, here sure. at WTKR, but you, you're you more a filmmaker than, than we are. You know more about the technical side and the artistic side than, than either of us. Okay. I appreciate that. Well, yeah. yeah. Hey, man, I got to give you your props. But, I th- you know, you and I have talked before about how sure. Tarantino is a master of the craft. Oh, yeah. What do you see when you look at Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Um, I see a guy that really – this is the – I feel like this is where he comes from. I feel like this is where – uh, his inspiration to become a filmmaker came from this period. Mm-hmm. Um, and he 
takes care of it with such delicate care. Yeah. So that's what I think. Like, you know, I think about subjects that I'm very passionate about and I feel like I would hope I would approach them the same way that he approached this. Yeah. And I, and I say that with the highest gratitude with, uh, for what I think he went into it trying to do is to, is to create this scale, create this world that he felt like, um, you know, maybe this golden age of Hollywood was. Yeah. So, on, you know, on that front, I, I think he did amazing there. In you terms know. of, like, the umbrella stuff under direction, like editing, cinematography, how do you feel about the intricacies of the Cinematography, filmmaking? great. Editing, I had some qualms with, man. They were, really? They yeah, were, that's interesting. Why do you say that? So th- there was just, to me, and, and – this could be a subjective thing. This is nothing based upon anything like uh, I didn't go to like film school, right? right? So this is not like based on any theory. Or Wait, you like didn't that. watch a movie with a filmmaking manual open? <laughs> <laughs> That's what Stephen and I do every week. Yeah, I, yeah it's... <laughs> it, it, uh, I, I, there was a there were more than five cuts, and I can't I, I can't give you the exact scenes when they happen. But mm-hmm. if we sat and watched it together, I could point it out. There was more than five cuts in this film that completely just took me out. Oh, wow. That t- that just took me out of the, the scene. Interesting. Uh, and I've never experienced that in a Tarantino film. Okay, so you're talking about like, and I don't know if this is like an industry term, but I talk about like macro editing versus micro editing, where okay. it's like micro, I would say, is like on a cut-to-cut basis. And macro would be like, is the story edited in a way that that is feels uh, appropriately brief? Does it feel like it's just the leanest, most essential parts of the story? Right. It, that doesn't seem to be what you're referring to. You're referring to like on a shot to shot basis. Correct, on a shot to shot basis. But now that you mention that, I mean, I, I do feel like I do feel like this was um, excessively lengthy for uh, no reason. This yeah, no, I I agree with you because I think that. This film has a lot of character, yeah. but not a lot of plot. Right. And I think that having character and having things that are character-driven is important in a decent film. But w- what what are the arcs of these characters? And I think that plays a lot into the, the, the screenplay itself and the right. writing, which I have serious issues with. Um, but yeah, this film, I don't think it earns its over two-and-a-half-hour runtime. No, it didn't. And actually, it was more of a nuisance than anything, uh, in my opinion. See, I don't know if I agree with you guys. Like, I love, and I've talked about this a lot, I love character over plot. Right. In fact, if a movie feels too plotty, I kind of turn off. Sure. And, and I, I don't like having to sit through a bunch of, like, MacGuffin talk and everything, especially if it's not rooted in character. This movie is, like, that idea extrapolated out tenfold mm-hmm. um, because it's all character and, and no plot. And I, I liked how this felt so slice of life the time that you spend with uh, DiCaprio and Brad Pitt specifically, like it, so much of it is just aimless. Mm-hmm. It's just two guys hanging out and, and being who they are and in this amazing setting. And I loved that. Yeah. Right. I really felt like pure cinema to me in that, like you're evoking mood within your audience um, with very little actually happening. And, and see that's, and that's what gets into my problem with the film. I think that, Tarantino is doing that, and then he doesn't know how to end his film. He doesn't know what happens next for these characters. Well, that seems like a good place to get into spoilers. Sure. But before we do, I guess let's tie up how we feel about it. Yeah. I like this movie. I think it's got issues. I have a lot to work out, and I need to see it more times. But my walking away from it, I felt really good. Right. And I think Mm -hmm. this movie is going to do well in awards season. I I think... 
I love the first two thirds of this film. I, Acts one and two. Acts one and two. You're right. Um, I thought this could be a masterpiece. This is this is Tarantino evolving as a filmmaker, mm-hmm. and then uh, in Act three, I think the film becomes less cohesive, falls apart. Tarantino falls into his his you know it's a trap. Tarantino just can't he can't evolve as a filmmaker. He can't not make this be a Tarantino film. I cannot wait to get into that. Mm-hmm. Treasy. Um, I, I, I'm actually quite the exact opposite, Steven. Okay. Like, I love the third act, and I feel like acts one and two to me um, are completely irrelevant. Well, I'm not going to say irrelevant. That's a strong word. Sure, sure. Whatever wow. word is like divided by two, irrelevant. You know <laughs> what I mean? Um, um, and, and, I, and honestly, I'm going to be completely honest. I This is at the bottom of Quentin's... Um, uh, filmography for I, me. I would I would put it somewhere in the middle. Yeah, mm. I'm not mad at that. I can live yeah. with the middle, but it's I, nowhere near the top for me. I think this is a middle ranker for me. Yeah, too. sure. But yeah, it's not near the top. It's not. I, the I top. think that it lacks a lot of the critical elements that I love yeah. of his films. But we got to talk about Act Three. Yeah. Um, and plus, the clock is ticking. So let's do spoilers for Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in three, two, one. I, I guess let's just talk about the end first. Let's get out of the yeah, way. Yeah, let's get out of the way. So. You know, when he announced that he was making a movie that dealt with the Charles Manson murders. Yes. That was a controversial thing. He's like, how do you do that tastefully? And for like two years, people speculated online right. about what this was going to be. Yeah. And I I never guessed it was going to be I this. Never, yeah, yeah, I never thought it was going to go the way that it did. Yeah. Um, which unless it's we'll just say he changes history. He rewrites he, it, which is he, he pulls he's done in, before he's in done Glorious before. Bastards. Um in Inglorious Bastards, like while well, it did bother me like it didn't bother me that much where here it really bothered me yeah me too that's interesting yeah me too so because in this movie instead of going for the sharon tate slash roman polanski household yeah the the manson followers go for rick dalton's house yes where he's in there with his wife and cliff booth Mm -hmm. and cliff's dog yeah i liked this a lot and i i just but i want to hear first why you guys didn't like it so here's the thing I loved the sequence. I, I loved, I loved it. Like the craft of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I loved it. I thought it, I, I found myself laughing yes. uncontrollably mm-hmm. in certain funny. parts of it. I loved it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I, I didn't know how to feel about it being revisionist history. Sure. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I, I had a lot of anxiety watching this man, right? Because it's like I, I felt like we were getting so involved with Sharon Tate. And then it's like, oh, she's, she, you know, you start remembering like, man, she's pregnant. She's, I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to see any of this. Yeah. And then we don't see it. And I'm like, oh crap. I think I wanted, I think I wanted to see it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, respectfully. Yeah, yeah. sure. Respectfully. No, and, and the thing, when he does this in Inglorious Bastards, like it might not be 100% historically accurate, but I mean, Hitler did die at the end of the war. So right. it's not, it's not that ridiculous. Right. Here, because these are four very specific people, mm-hmm. um, to me it felt a little bit distasteful um, mm. to just, well, you know what? Uh, we're just going to pretend none of this tragic thing ever happened, right. and we're going to go and make this like a full-on, bloody, violent, Tarantino-esque uh, bloodbath. I think that right. so. I think that's insanity that you said that because to me this was the most like reverential and sweet possible way that he could have done this like i think that he chose the most positive of any track that the story could have taken by allowing the people in the sharon tate household to live well i mean i think i think 
the best possible scenario here is you just I mean you allude to it, but you don't show it because leading up to the scene, he's purporting it as history. Right. He's showing a timeline of the movements of the Tate party, the movements of Dalton and, and Booth, yeah. and the movements of the Manson family, like this was some kind of historically correct. Uh, I don't. Document. I don't think that's. I don't think anybody's going to watch this movie under the assumption that this is a historically accurate version of events. I, Oh, I did. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I <laughs> yeah, did. I did as well. I, I did until the. Until I mean, when you're when you're end. getting like to a, a minute for minute accounting of the movements of these parties, like, come on, yeah. This movie stars a fictional movie star. It's about Rick Dalton. That's not a real dude. Yeah, but I thought it was just like the conduit. You're right. Like to get to these events. I mean, I, I didn't. You know, when you when you show me a date. Yeah, <laughs> you know I'm there, man. Sharing you know, date when you show me a, yeah an actual date of something that happened. Now we're talking about history. Yeah. You know what I mean. Right. So I had no reason not to believe. I think that we are we're obviously meant to expect the murder of sure. Sharon Tate and the and the others right at the end of the film. Right. I think that that's built in tension, and I think that's what the the sequence at Spawn Ranch is all about because we know what these people are capable of specifically. Yeah, we know where with the movie's heading, and it feels like this big act two action sequence i mean action in quotes because right. it's not it's very slow really but i i think that this is a genius move in terms of he, he sets us up with this obvious conclusion and then makes a left turn and i that left me thinking like okay what is he trying to say that's yeah. it's clearly a very what, i have something to say move what do you think he's trying to say yeah i've thought about it a lot and i'm not sure i've settled on what i'll ultimately believe um but i think this whole movie is about Rick Dalton. It's not about the Manson murders. Sure. It's about this guy. It's about it's about Rick and Cliff and their friendship. Yeah. Right. It's a yeah. It's about two guys who I think have have had a rough time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they feel kind of trodden upon by the world. Yeah. Sharon Tate represents youth opportunity. These things that these guys don't have anymore. Right. And she's right next door to them. Mm. She's living in the same space, but her world is so different. Yeah. Mm. And clearly, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, Rick Dalton, wants that for himself. He even says earlier in the movie, in like one of his rare hopeful dialogue exchanges, where he's like, I could just be one pool party away. Right, but I could just get in there. Right. I could right. be my shot. Right. I think the end of this movie where he you know, chats with Emile Hirsch and Sharon Tate, and right. he, he meets up with them, and he goes to have this the social event or whatever that's what he's referring to that's what that earlier line right no it, do, it does it ends it ends with a glimmer of hope for rick dalton right and i think that on a broader sense like sharon tate historically sort of represented the hope of like new hollywood sure and i think you you look at the 70s um in a in a cinema history type way and i'm trying i'm not trying to get intellectual here i know i did put your glasses on and i'm sorry i'll right. give them back to I you can't, i'm very second. blind now yeah um but the 70s are traditionally referred to as like a dark time mm-hmm. uh, where the films were very cynical um you had like charles bronson movies where he's like a, a assassin right right or like killing people in the streets like this is a, a dirty time right. for for american film until like Star Wars happens, right? And right. then that's more getting us into the 80s. So I think that this is meant to say like, what if this cynicism that that took over didn't take over? And mm. it could have been the salvation for people like Rick. Right. Right, and it could, I think it's just a way to say like, if if we're a little bit less cynical, the world's a better place. I think it's a pretty simple message. Mm. 
That's what I think. And I, and I, that's surprising from Tarantino. None of his films really end that way. I think Django kind of ends that way. Django has a lot of nastiness in it. Yeah. And then ends on a somewhat hopeful note. And I think that that duality is very much part of the tone of Django Unchained. Right. right. I mean, I can agree with that message. I just, I wish he'd gotten there some other way than this. I don't think if Sharon Tate dies at the end of this movie, there's no way to get there. There's no way to get there then. You make a good point. You you, you do make a good and point. And I think I took a lot of steps this, to get What there. if this movie had ended with him flying off to Italy to go do movies again, to be a movie star in Spaghetti Westerns? No, because we know. We know from his conversation with Pacino in the first scene in the movie and with, with him talking to Brad Pitt, like we know that that's not ultimately the success that he wants. Yeah. Yeah. He does that begrudgingly. I don't know. I just feel and like it doesn't really work out for him. He makes like a bunch of crappy movies. He marries some woman that he's not in love with. Right. And it it doesn't really make him happy. Yeah. I mean, he's like, you know, he's he's gained a lot of weight. He has like a worse haircut. He looks even drunker at the end of the movie. Right. right? Like you're not supposed to take that as a victory for this character. Right. right. It just seems the whole third act just seems ham fisted. Like we've had uh, instances of Kurt Russell doing voiceover prior to the third act of the film. Yeah. But then all of a sudden He's using it almost like a writing crutch. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to insert some voice over here to move the story along to get to wherever it needs to get to. What exactly, what, what voiceover happens at the end? I mean, I remember there being some, but what kind of stuff is he saying? He's like, uh, you know, Cliff and uh, Rick uh, went to uh, this Mexican restaurant. And, you oh. know, he's, he's using it to, to move things along to the events of this night. I think that that's, again, I think that's playing with the tension because by giving you, like, a parallel account of what's happening, he's he's building up our expectations of, like, okay, when's the murder going to happen? But because that hasn't happened uh, to a, such a broad extent, any other part of the movie, it just feels like, wait a minute, whatever is happening right now feels like a different movie than the one I've been watching for two hours But that's clear this. because he does a six-month time jump. Like, that's this is built into the structure of the movie. I mean, it just, it just makes the film seem disjointed. I think the first two hours of the movie are it, its own movie. Mm-hmm. Right. And then it's like a coda at the end. The last 40 minutes or so where it skips ahead six months and we're after the spaghetti western portion of his career. Mm-hmm. I think that's very specifically intended to be something else. I like that movie, by the way. I, I like that third act. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I like it too. Yeah, yeah so Treasy, you, you said you really liked the third act of the film. Can you? What, what was it that you really liked about it? Um, I, I liked ex- for exactly what you said. Mm-hmm. You know, it moved, a, it moved along a lot quicker. Sure. And with a lot more purpose. You know, to at, at some point to me, I didn't need the character development. I understood who I was watching. Right. Um, you know, it, you know, when I think about that, I think about like the scene. Uh, the very first scene with Rick and his, I mean, uh, with Cliff and his dog, you yeah. know, when he's doing the dog food and all that. I'm like, I, I get this. You know, you have yeah, a that one's, that one's very self indulgent with, yeah. with your dog. Um, so that's what I liked about the third act is that we just got straight to the money, man. Um, you know, and, and it became this circus that, you know, to me, Tarantino's really good at. Like, yeah. just, just this bloody ballerina. Right. Uh, what do they call it? Ballet? Uh, sure. Bloody ballet. Sure. Yeah, not ballerina. But, um, so t- for me, that's why I liked it more, um, you know, in terms of the revisionist portion of it, I, I wasn't I think that has to I think that has to grow on me. Sure. Um, just because I'm sort of fresh off of it, you know, I'm less than like right. 12 hours. Why, you know, having yeah. watched it, it has to grow on me. And I and I like the points that you're making about it, Chandler, that are that are that are helping me kind of like lay into it a little softer. Um, but, yeah, that's that's all it was for me, man. Yeah. Is that, that the rest of the movie dragged out. I, yeah. I'm the opposite of you, man. I enjoyed the first two thirds of this way more. Yeah, that that was the best for me. Just living in the world. Um, I mean, I like a story to have a conclusion. Um, 
the end is not totally satisfying for me. Mm. I, I I like the themes when I think about like what he's trying to say, mm-hmm. but I, I cathartically like eh, it wasn't really what I was hoping yeah. it would be. And I I, I don't want to you know just because I like what he's trying to say doesn't mean I liked how it was executed. Sure. Um, and, and you know I think this is a tough movie to crack in terms of like the arc. Um, I I've right. Listened- and that's one of the things I said to my wife when we were leaving the theater. I was like, I don't. I don't really like that the, the ending. Like, why do you do that? And she said, "Well, I mean, that something had to happen. Nothing happened right up until this point." So I saw an interview with Quentin and uh, and Leo, uh-huh. and they were talking about they did like it's an anatomy of a scene. V I believe is for Variety, mm-hmm. and they're talking about the scene where he gets in the hair and makeup. Yeah, and the specifically when he's in the trailer having the conversation with the director and they want to put him in the mustache in the fringe and they were framing this as if this is like a huge turning point in the movie which i'll be honest didn't feel like it to me when i was watching it the way that they said that this was the turning point is this is the first time that rick dalton is surrendering himself to the art whereas before rick Mm -hmm. dalton is he's always the pompadour guy he's the masculine hero right even when he's doing the villain stuff he's still like being crystal cool right um, and then with this director who's saying, no, I trust your acting skill. Right. I want to see you not look like Rick Dalton. I want you to be this character. And he has all this faith in him. Rick is clearly uncomfortable about it. He has the conversation with the young lady, uh, Trudy. Trudy. Um, and she kind of, she shows him like, Hey, acting is serious business. Like we have a job to do and right. I take this seriously. And that inspires him. And like you said early on in our review here, that scene where he's acting opposite uh, Timothy Oliphant yeah. is so engaging. Mm-hmm. And Leo and Tarantino were saying, like, that's the point. is We're supposed to see, like, wow, this guy's good. Yeah. And he's unlocking that for the first time Very in much. that scene because he's disappeared under the mustache, the long hair. And when he starts to lose it, when he forgets a line, his frustration is that he's losing it. Yeah. And he knows he's on the cusp of something. Yeah. And I think the arc of him discovering that skill in that scene and then having the humbleness to say, you know what, maybe I will go do some spaghetti westerns because the art is the important thing. And even though these movies are not going to be what I want, I'm going to go try it anyway. And of course, he he tries it. I think that's supposed to be him sort of surrendering to his ego um, and and being, or not not surrendering his ego. Sure. And then he comes back and he's unsatisfied and then the universe sort of rewards him. By giving him this uh, this opportunity with Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski, and and I want to see what films Rick Dalton works on after yeah. that point. Mm-hmm. And, and might I might I add, Cliff did indeed carry his load in that. Oh third yeah, show. oh yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we haven't talked a lot about Pip. I mean, he's so he's so funny. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's just, he's just he's like he's being so cool in this in this movie. You know, th- there are so many long scenes of him just driving. Yeah, there's one that cracked me up, man, where he's driving left to right. For like a long time, and he does a turn, and then he's driving right to left on the screen, and I and I was just like, oh my god, like, this is never gonna end. Yeah. He's just going all over the place. Um, yeah, he he's great. The scene where he fights Bruce Lee is dope, even though I feel like that's kind of messed oh, up. They they mishandled Bruce. He mishandled yeah. Bruce Lee so Bruce, bad. Bruce Bruce was the real deal. Yeah, yeah. they kind of make him seem like a phony. And they made him look like a chump. Well, yeah. Yeah. well, and well, they made him seem extremely arrogant. Yeah, and he wasn't. Know? By all accounts, he was like a very humble guy. Yeah, very yeah. humble, very philosophical. Yeah, man. I like the that. scene, but yeah, it felt kind of dirty. Yeah, well, but but. Tarantino's not afraid to offend people. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, that's right. And I, I think uh, that whole scene, I didn't realize it was a flashback until it cuts back to 
Brad Pitt on the roof. Right. Yeah. And that was a huge laugh for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it's like 15 minutes long. And yeah. then he cut back and he's like, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I guess, gentlemen, that's where we should wrap things up. Treasy, thank you for joining us yeah. on the Act 3 podcast. No, man. thank you for having me, man. Absolutely, like, yeah. You've, you've brought a fresh perspective, and, and you've brought out something in me and Steven that I didn't know we were capable of anymore. Huh. I think we've lost this part of our relationship, and it's really nice to see it again. Yeah, we've been agreeing too much about films recently. We have so. been agreeing a lot, and yeah. that was not why we started this podcast. Right, because <laughs> normally you have terrible taste. It has been alleged yeah. by you. Yeah. Um, and by I me. might say the same. Okay. Um, but no, I'm glad that we had some, some, some disagreements this week. And maybe we can even revisit this topic later. Hey, Treasy, if people want to hear more from you, where can they find you on social media? Oh, on social media, on Instagram, you can find me at Filmmaking Treasy, T R E E Z Y. And uh, on Twitter, Filmmaking Trees without the Y at the end. Nice. And, um, or you can follow uh, my podcast and uh, that, that Chandler uh, uh, Frequents. Quite well, and uh, uh and, and, and adds a lot to uh, the kind of movie critics on Instagram at kind of movie critics, uh, kind as K I N D A. I don't think yeah. it's a stretch to say if people like listening to this show, you might get a lot out of kind of movie critics, y- yeah, yeah. It, it'll point you a lot further in the wrong direction. No, I don't uh, it'll be less, less irreverent, less Star Wars talk, uh, less talk about my cat and Chandler being There's tired still, all the time. We still sneak some Star Wars talk, I think it they ends do, up getting man. cut out of most episodes. We mentioned Tarkin in, in this podcast, so you I know. know, I gotta get one in, gotta get time. one in. Uh, uh, if, you, if you want to follow me on social media, you can go to Instagram at Chandler Nunnally or Twitter at Chan Nunnally, that's C H. A Nunnally. Stephen Wall, what about you? Uh, you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram. I am at Mr. Stephen Wall on those platforms. You can find more episodes of this podcast at act3podcast.com. That includes our very recent appearance on Coast Live, mm-hmm. in and which some, we do uh, some great bit work. Yes, and some very fresh video content. Oh, yeah. We're, our first foray into the visual medium. Yeah. We worked on this for a long time, worked really hard on it. Uh, please go check it out. I don't want to say anything else. Yes, about I, I want let the let the uh, let, let the, the art piece, yeah speak let the piece speak, speak. I'm not going to do spot parts art, but uh, Tracy, Tracy looks very inquisitive for the Act Three podcast. I'm Chandler Nunnally. I'm Stephen Wall. Until next time, that's a wrap. This has been a production of the Tribune Audio Network. Uh, on a package we ran today from CBS, yes, it was pronounced the Irish man. <laughs> well, look, I mean, they're not. She industry. said it twice in the package. I don't. Rem- I'm not going to call the reporter out, right? Uh, but yes, yeah, the Irish man. I'm pr- I, I think definitively that is not how. That's the, not how you pronounce it. No, no. I, I was like, that sounds like a movie about like Colin Farrell, right? <laughs> um, uh, wait, speak. Hold on. I, I wanted to bring up Colin Farrell because I've been developing a character. Yes. And I I don't think it'll ever just pop up randomly, so I kind of set myself up here. So I'm okay. going to do it now. Yeah. Uh, this is my my character. It's Colin Farrell explaining the difference between pies in America and Ireland. Okay. okay. Um, I remember when I was uh, shooting SWAT with uh, LL Cool J, and we went down to a, a Publix. I believe we went to a Publix, and I, I picked up a, a, a pot pie. It was like Marie Callender's. And uh, it, was, it was beef and gravy inside, and and it's it's quite a bit different because over in Ireland, when we have a pie, uh, it's more of a shepherd's pie, um, so that would have like a mashed potatoes instead of a crust. That was pretty good. That was I can totally see that happening. Yeah. That's a conversation that yeah, I'm sure happened. I don't know what interview he would get that into like pie discussion. What are you doing with yourself that like this is what you you do in your free time? I came up with that walking up the stairs into my apartment. <laughs>
And I think by the time I got to the bedroom uh, where my girlfriend was, I had the bit ready to go. It was fully developed. <laughs> yeah, I did yeah, a rough yeah. draft right there. What was what was her reaction when she heard this? Uh, total indifference. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just like mine right now. Yes. Um, so, uh, hey guys, write in. Tell us. Uh, write an iTunes review. Tell us how you liked my uh, Colin Farrell. <laughs> I, I'm going to start the campaign hashtag bring back Colin Farrell pie guy. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. It's a long hashtag. It's taking up a lot of your uh, a lot of your characters on the Twitter there. Yeah, that and hashtag act three podcast and then both of our at handles and yeah. uh, at trees jobs as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Go yep. for it. Um, all right. So the Irishman is notable. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're talking about the Irishman. Yeah, it, 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 it gets back on track. This has been an on-ear network production.